So you'd call yourselves disciples of Jesus, right? Right? You've accepted, you've accepted the call and you said, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, right? Is that where everyone is? Good, good, good. But you know something? You've accepted a dangerous assignment. Being a Christian is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to be a Christian in North Korea. So in North Korea, there are 300,000 Christians in North Korea. And these Christians are hunted people. And so they have to be very careful who they speak to or, or what they say because their own government seeks to eradicate them. If Christians are discovered, no matter if they were Christians long before the Korean War or came to, the, came to Christ in some other way, if they're found, they will not only be deported to labor camps as political prisoners or even killed, but even members of their family who aren't Christians will be killed as well. North Korea is not alone, though. All Christians, all disciples of Jesus are hunted people. While our government may not be after us to, to destroy us, there is an enemy who seeks to eradicate us. This enemy hates the things of God and uses all kinds of schemes to trap his victims. And so we must learn to defend ourselves. So in our New Testament reading today from Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is describing for his, this church the armor that all disciples must put, them, put, themselves, put on themselves in order to defend themselves. Now this is a pretty popular passage. We know about all this, and yet it's really so critical. It's so critical that we understand the armor of God. Uh, in fact, I know people who literally wake up every morning and put on each of the pieces of armor, thinking about what they are, because it's so important in the defense of a Christian. And so we must equip ourselves to stand against the schemes of the enemy. So I just invite you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 10 through 20. Uh, underline, uh, take notes, whatever you need to. But this is, uh, this is important stuff. In fact, a lot of people actually memorize each of the uh, each of these different pieces of armor in order to help them remember how to defend themselves against the schemes of the enemy. Let's provide a, bit, a little bit of context for this section of Ephesians. So we're in the very last chapter of Ephesians. And so Paul is offering the church some last-minute instructions before he ends his letter. And what he's doing is that he's leveling with them about the reality of what they will face. You know, I wish I could say to you, you know, the moment you decide to become a disciple of Jesus, everything is going to go well with your life. You're going to be rich. You're going to do well. Uh, you'll never get sick again. Your friends will never get sick again. Everyone's going to come to know Jesus, and we're all just going to be able to celebrate until the end of our lives. It is not true. It's not true. In fact, each of us, every one of us, every one of us, is going to face the onslaught of our enemy. And so we have to be prepared. Now, who's this enemy? As I'm talking about this enemy. Who is the enemy that disciples of Jesus face? Well, we know him as the devil. He's not a figment of our imaginations. 
is very real. Here's what the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. He says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Do you notice here how, how Peter is linking the sufferings of, of the people of Christ with the antics of this evil one? That there's a connection between the two. Now, this enemy is not a physical enemy. You can't go to this somewhere in the world and go visit uh, the devil. You know, you can't see him because he's not physical. He's spiritual. Okay, it's a, he's a spiritual power, and this is what. Paul wants to tell his readers. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul, what Paul is doing is he's literally describing the realm of, of evil that mimics the realm of heaven. So in heaven, in heaven you have, you have angels and you have the whole heavenly hosts who are worshiping God. And the thing about heaven is that God's will is always done. There's no rebellion against God in heaven. In heaven, we all worship God. Throngs, throngs of, of heavenly creatures worship. And then below is another kingdom, the kingdom of evil. And this is a kingdom, too, where legions of evil, you can't see this kingdom, but legions of evil gather around and they worship Satan. Satan is lord of this, of this other realm. And, and it exists in order to destroy, in order to destroy all the things of God. It seeks to destroy every move of the spirit of God. Now the word, word devil literally means slanderer. And according to 1 John 3.8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He is the ruler of the air, the one who controls the, this world and the God of this age. Now if you don't believe that that's true, if you don't believe that the kingdoms of this world, that all the things of this world are are, are controlled by Satan, then let's consider the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. So if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about how the devil came again to tempt Jesus, and he took him up to a mountain. And he said, now look, look at all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all of these can be yours if you simply bow down and worship me. Now, how... Could the devil offer that to him unless they were under his control? He couldn't. And it wouldn't have been a temptation because Jesus could have said, well, you know what? You don't control these things. You can't give these things to me. But no, Jesus accepts that because the world is under the control of Satan, of the devil. The devil was able to tempt it because the world is under his control. 
Now, Jesus came to our world in order to destroy the work of the devil. Indeed, on the cross and resurrection, the devil was defeated. His kingdom was conquered. But this doesn't mean that the devil isn't operating in our midst. You know, it's kind of like ISIS, okay? ISIS is, is now more or less defeated, and yet it continues to wreak havoc in some parts of the world. You know, defeated enemies can actually cause more harm sometimes than, 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 the, than the previous one can do. Nor does it mean that our world belongs to God right now. God's realm is expanding, but it's doing so one soul at a time. But for each soul converted, the devil seeks to tear it down. Now, let me, let me just pause for a second and say, we don't need to be afraid as God's people. We don't need to be afraid of, of the devil. We don't need to be looking for the devil around every corner. That's not the way Christians are to live. We can be assured of what Jesus has accomplished for us. In fact, we can walk in that confidence, in the joy of that, knowing that. We don't have to worry about the devil. However, we can give territory up to him if we don't understand some of these spiritual principles. We can actually unwittingly invite him into our lives, and it can wreak havoc into our lives, even as Christians. And that's why it's important that we understand these spiritual principles. Now, Paul describes six pieces of armor that Christians must take up in their defense. Each disciple has been, has been supplied with this army, armor to stand against the ploys of the enemy. We are never told to do battle against the devil. That isn't our role. Our role is not to take to do this offensively. Our goal is simply to stand ground. Don't yield territory over the evil one. We defend ourselves. Our military objective is simply to stand ground, not to conquer the devil. And that's why, if you notice in this passage, that, that Paul speaks repeatedly of standing ground, standing firm, stand firm. That's what we do. We maintain the territory that Jesus has already accomplished and we don't try to take any more territory from Satan. That's Christ's role to do. Now, these six pieces of armor are designed for our defense. And so we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 and look at each one of these pieces of armor. Now, the first one is the belt of truth to fasten around your waist. Now, this is the core piece of armor. This belt of truth is the piece of armor in which all the other pieces have to hold on to. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very central, this belt of truth. Um, have you ever gone to a physical trainer to, to try to get in better shape before? Or if you ever go to a physical trainer and say, yeah, I want to have big arms and big legs or whatever, you know what they're going to do first? They're going to have you work on your core. They're going to have you work on your abs. They're going to have you work on your back. Because unless the core is strong, you're going to be prone to injury. And the same thing is true here. If you don't have the belt of truth, if, you're not, if, if that isn't part of your arsenal, then these other pieces of armor are not necessarily going to help you in some of these other uh, situations that you might find yourself in. 
And so we must have that peace so that we're not vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy. Now, truth is the worldview that comes from a realization that the kingdom of God is here. It understands that the world and the rulers of this world are coming to an end. It recognizes that, that Jesus is the Lord of all. That he sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It will be proclaimed. So what is now invisible will become visible to everyone. So to put on the truth, the, the belt of truth, is to live with new priorities. Because we see the world through different eyes. We don't see the world the way everyone else sees the world. Bad news no longer disappoints because our eyes are on God. We no longer see this life as a way to obtain comfort, but to achieve the purposes of God in our lives. And so to wear the, 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 the belt of truth is to stand against agnosticism, false religion, idolatry, uh, or any of the ideologies that the evil one brings. It is, it is to stand against that. The devil seeks to create confusion, but the disciple walks in truth. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. So a breastplate was, was put on by a soldier in order to protect them in their chest and in their heart. Because if the enemy could get a good shot, it would immediately kill them, right? So it's really important to have a strong breastplate. Now, righteousness, the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, refers to the righteousness we receive when we become disciples of Jesus so that his righteousness is our righteousness. But it's also the righteousness that we receive because we are being transformed into a new creation. And so we begin to live righteously because the Holy Spirit dwells inside us. He gives us a new heart. We become transformed, all these things. So how does righteousness protect us? You know, when you do something wrong, and any of us do, do something wrong, we, they say we commit a sin, we fail to forgive somebody that's hurt us, we hurt somebody, we do some form of evil. It's like when that happens, it's like, and this happens with Christians, it's like we, we, this curtain is open and it gives access to the evil one. The evil one is given permission to enter into our lives because when we sin, what we're literally doing is we're saying we're aligning our lives with the devil. And if we're going to line our lives with the devil, the consequence is, that's fine. Your life becomes open to the things of the evil one. So it gives them permission to come into your life. And so what often happens, say, with anyone who struggles with anger, who struggles with pornography, who struggles with drunkenness, who struggles with drugs, who struggles with all, whatever it might be that you struggle with. So imagine whatever sin it is. The reason it has so much power in your life is because it's not just physical. It's spiritual because it gives access to the evil one in your life. 
So if it seems like I can never get over this anger, it just, it controls my life, it's because you've given access to the evil one who's able to come into your life. It gives him permission to come into your life. And that's why as Christians, it's so critical that when we sin, that we confess that sin and repent. So, so what happens is that when we do something wrong, we not only say to the Lord, I'm sorry that I did this, but we say, I will not do it again. To repent means I'm walking in this way and I stop and I go, no more. I stop and I walk in the right direction. And here's what happens in the spiritual realm when we do that. So in the spiritual realm, where that, where that was open, that curtain became open, it now closes. Now, Satan doesn't have any access to your life because that curtain has been closed because you've repented and now you're walking in righteousness. And then as a Christian, once we pray that, then we can pray that these demons that were once oppressing us would go directly to Jesus and we invite the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and allow the Spirit to guide our lives. And that's why it's so important that we keep the breastplate of righteousness on because we're protecting ourselves from a very easy way for the for the Satan to have access to our lives and that's why Christian lives often don't look like the lives of of of, of the way they're supposed to look because the reality is is that they have open access that they don't even know about we're meant to be set free because Jesus has given us new life. And guess what? If you walk in righteousness, you will never, ever have to worry about the devil. Ever. It's taken care of. Because Jesus has conquered the enemy. But we only give access to him if we allow him to have access to that territory. The third piece of armor is the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So in Paul's time, uh, Roman legions were very heavy sandals. They were heavy sandals with, made of several layers of, of, of leather. They were studded with hollow headed hobnails so that they would be able to dig into the ground. So these are not shoes to run with. These are not running shoes, but these are shoes to plant yourself in the ground, okay? That's what he's talking about. It's to stay so that you stand firm in the ground. Now, in verse 15, we read that these shoes are shoes with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel of peace is the good news that the enmity uh, between God and man has been, has been overcome. The enmity between Jew and Gentile has now been overcome. It's, it's the news that the angels proclaim at Jesus' birth, that peace has come upon the earth. That's the gospel of peace. There's peace now between human beings. There's reconciliation between man and man and, and man and God. Now the devil would not have you to believe this. He, for he has nothing he wants you to have nothing to do with this. But in John 8, 44, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. And this tells us what the devil's primary tactic is. So this is how he attacks us. It is through deceit. 
through deceit and lies. So you're never going to, you're not going to say, um, it's never going to be obvious. And this is what's so insidious about this. It's not like, oh, you know, he's going to show up and say, hi, I'm the devil and I'm here to hurt you. It, it doesn't happen that way. It's, it's, it always is designed to create confusion. That's, that's what he does. He creates confusion for us. So it's like, well, I'm just not sure. And he'll even incorporate the same names and everything else because he's trying to steer us away from the Lord. It is noteworthy, if you look at both the beginning of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, that both of them begin with a situation in which the devil is deceiving human beings. Now, in, in, in the Old Testament, the serpent convinces Adam and Eve to eat from the, from the tree that was forbidden for them to eat. And in the New Testament, the devil tempts Jesus during his 40-day fast. And while the first humans succumb to the lives of Satan, Jesus recognizes the tactics and refuses to give in to them. The devil lies to us about all kinds of things. He's always lying to us. God isn't real. I'm not real. God doesn't love you. God has abandoned you. Your brother, your sister over there, she wants to hurt you. All kinds of lies. And so readiness with the gospel of peace means that whenever we hear these lies, we remember the gospel of peace that assures us that God is on our side. He will not abandon us. He loves us. And he has a purpose for our lives. Lies create doubt. The gospel of peace gives us confidence. I remember when uh, our bishop was first getting started, we were, I was in an executive committee meeting. This is just a meeting of our diocese. And people were painting this really dire, dire picture of the, of the diocese. And, and I remember going, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I, and I chimed in and said, you know, that's right. You know, it's impossible. It's, you know, just, I just joined in on that. And the bishop just looked at me and us and he said, the future's bright. Because we know that Jesus has already conquered the enemy. Because we know that he has brought peace to the world. And so being ready with the gospel of peace means we're going to be thrown at all kinds of things. Things are going to create discouragement. Things are going to create just havoc in our lives. And we have to be prepared with that gospel of peace and go... No, Jesus came to bring peace to our world. Reconciliation between me and my brother, me and my sister. Reconciliation between me and God and new life. We have a future. That's the gospel of peace. The fourth piece of armor is the shield of faith. So Roman shields were actually very large. So it wasn't just something here. It was actually very large. And they covered the whole body. And they were actually really heavy, these shields. They were made with two wood planks glued together uh, with the outer surface covered first, and then it would be covered again with, with, skin, with calf skin. And what they would do is they would pour water on these shields. So they would be immersed in water, 
And then when these flaming arrows from the enemy would come, it would extinguish them because of the water on the, on the shield. Faith shields us from these lies. It shields us from these lies. The devil is going to throw all kinds of lies at us. Lies like God is far away. God can't see you in your struggle. God is powerless. Or God doesn't do miracles today. They're all going to come. You're all going to hear it. Faith is the belief, though, that God is here. That God cares. That God will come. That God will act. That's what faith is. You know, there was always a tendency among the, the Roman soldiers to, to put their shield aside in order that they can, can then um, shoot arrows at the enemy. But whenever they did that, they would actually be very vulnerable to attack. And so that's why we can't keep that, that shield of faith away from us. That shield of faith must surround us. We must always hold on to our faith. Remember, our aim is not to, to attack the enemy, but merely to defend the territory. The fifth piece of armor is a helmet. It's the, the helmet of salvation. So our heads must be protected. Our heads must be protected with the knowledge of God's salvation. Not just salvation that leads to eternal life. Yes, that's a part of it. But the confidence that God is our safety and protection in the here and now. He is the one who will carry us through. You recall how the children of Israel faced all kinds of dangers in the wilderness when they left the land of Egypt. And although they had seen that God's remarkable provision when the Egyptians came to assault them and, and, and then the sea, the Red Sea was opened up and they, and they crossed, they saw God just do incredibly miraculous things. But whenever there was some kind of danger or some kind of lack of provision, they would just start to complain and go, we just want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back. They didn't understand that God is their salvation. God is their salvation. How many sleepless nights have you spent worrying about things? Our enemy wants you to have many. Many, many, many. Keep having them. That's what he wants. But as the people of God, we are to be armed with God's salvation. It is God who saves us. Now, the last piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which we're told is the word of God. Now, this is the only piece of armor which could be described as an offensive weapon. The sword is not the Spirit, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. The sword is the Word of God, which is an instrument of the Spirit. So Jesus shows us perfectly how to use the sword. So during his temptations from Satan, and he faced three of them, during each one of them, how did he respond? He responded with the Word of God. He responded with Scripture. He responded going right to him and saying, no, this is what Scripture says. And this is why it's so important that we know Scripture. It is a sword to be used when we're under attack. 
brothers and sisters, we must keep alert. We must keep alert and pray. You know, Paul ends this section just urging them to, to pray, to pray for your brothers and sisters. Because what prayer does is that it brings us into a place where we're, where, where we're in the spiritual realm. You know, we're, 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 we take ourselves out of just the things that we see with our eyes and we actually enter into a place that where God is Lord. And, and then when we're praying, we just walk right in that. And when we do that, then it enables us to see clearly what's going on and to be able to use these weapons. So we must put on the armor of God to protect ourselves from the enemy. The battle is not to be fought in our own strength. This is not our battle. We are to fight as a member of God's army together as part of a community of fellow soldiers with Jesus Christ as our general. So let us band together against our common enemy. Let us stand against his schemes.